Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey, Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, is my voice normal? It's a little closer. I was going to say, it does sound noticeably better than last week. The listeners can say if they agree or not, but I notice a difference. I was going to say closer. I, I think at this point, uh, all the swelling's gone. This might be my new normal, actually. <laughs> now that I don't have massive things blocking my airway anymore. <laughs> well, I, for one, welcome Dylan's new normal voice. Yay. Um, all right, so we have uh, a lot of stuff to talk about in, in this episode, RJ, because we've had preseason games. Training camp battles have continued. We've we've got maybe some answers to some of the pre-training camp questions we asked. I mean, there's just a, a ton of stuff to get into, as well as all the news and notes of where everybody's gone, since some people have been reassigned to either junior clubs or assigned to Coachella Valley. We're going to dig into all that. But of course, RJ, we've got to start off this episode like all others. Thanking our sponsor, Queen Anne Beer Hall. That's right. And uh, the Beer Hall had a really fun event a few days ago. Uh, they had their Oktoberfest celebration kicked off with special guests, none other than Philip Grubauer, who was at the hall to tap the ceremonial first keg. Uh, and it was a really great night. Uh, Grubauer decked out in his later hosen. Uh, it was so fun hanging out with him. I mean, Grubauer, he's just, he's such a nice guy. He was seeking out fans to talk to. He was sitting at his table. Other fans were sitting at theirs and he would get up and talk to the fans. If he saw like a Capitals hat or something like, oh, you know, were you a fan of the Caps back then? All that great stuff. I had the chance to talk to him a little bit about uh, his later hosen. actually. He was explaining to me how it, it varies and it looks different. You know, you go five, six miles away in Germany, right? And it'll have a totally different design. And he was explaining kind of the crest thing on the chest that they have. Really interesting conversation. Um, and then, of course, tapping the keg. I will say he was a little bit nervous before doing that because he'd actually never done that before. You have to have, um, you know, the little spout thing and you you tap it in with a hammer. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, I know it can go very wrong if you don't do it <laughs> yes. right. Um, but, uh, of course, did it masterfully uh, and, and it all worked out. Yeah, I mean, hey, there's, you know, anytime you're doing something new in front of a, a room full of people and you and I know how big and full that room can get there at Queen Anne Beer Hall. Oh yeah. Uh it's it could it could be intimidating, but you know what? With the with the common composure and then the performance and follow through that you'd expect from an NHL goaltender, he did a great job. So, uh Absolutely. I, yeah. And you know what I think was the key also? Jamie Alexiak showed up to support him. That's he, you know, as a goaltender, you get one of your big defensemen there, clear things out net front for you, get get nice, <laughs> nice, easy vision of the keg, right? He could see it the whole way. That that definitely helped, I'm sure, with the follow through there uh, while tapping the keg. Um, that is fantastic stuff. Really, really sad. I couldn't be there for it. Um, next thing, though, we got to talk about because we have just like a couple like <laughs> news and notes things we got to mention here. The next one up is that um, it is October, RJ. It is the first month of the NHL season. That means our Patreon has returned. So um, our Patreon is unpaused as of today. We will have our first Red Glare podcast episode later this week. A full schedule for this month will come out uh, in, a, in a few days time. Uh, but yes, the, the Emerald City Hockey Patreon is back. If you're watching this on YouTube, YouTube. link in the description below uh, we'll have social posts about it as well uh, for everybody else looking to join but uh, really excited to get back to doing all the fun stuff we get to do on there rj like your armchair gm streams my prospect live chats and then of course the live away game watch parties we do uh with all of our awesome patrons those are always so much fun yeah, I've really missed those. I've, I've missed all the bonus content. I've missed talking to you about league stuff. There was so much that happened over the offseason. Yeah. I'm like, we need a Red Glare podcast. Let's just do an emergency one. Uh, with the Patreon paused, we couldn't do it. But it is back, uh, patreon.com slash Emerald City Hockey. I know we've had some people contacting us like, how can mm -hmm. I sign up during the offseason? And unfortunately, there'd been no way to do that. But it's open now. It should be working. Uh, excited to see everyone on there. Definitely, definitely. And then we have another big thing coming out later this week, RJ, and that is we are going to be part of another trivia battle. We're going to be defending our, our title as uh, Emerald City, Ho uh, not Emerald City Hockey Champions. I mean, we are the champions of Emerald City Hockey. <laughs> not that not that we had to deal with too many competitors for that one. Um, but uh, we're going to be defending our belt as like Seattle Kraken media trivia champions later this week, courtesy of Sasquatch NHL. 
That's right. Sasquatch always put put on a great job for these. I mean, if you've seen the graphics too, like with the promo yes. video with like the NHL, the vintage NHL stuff, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, that'll be Thursday, October 5th, 5.30 p.m. Pacific time. It'll be live. You can watch how it all turns out. Uh, Dylan, have you been studying for this one? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I buy that. Uh, that sounds very convincing. Yeah, You know what? We studied as much as we did last time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, do we even do we even want to mention who we're going up against? Should we? I don't know. Are they worth a mention? I don't know. What? You mean the, the two guys that I've been giving intimidating looks at all training camp? Oh. <laughs> Just to oh. try and get in their heads? What am I going to be walking into, RJ, here? <laughs> Don't worry, um, they they don't look back over at me. It's okay. yes, it's uh we're we're gonna be going up against uh, another prominent Seattle Kraken media uh group. We'll say how about that? How about that? You shall not be named. Yes, yes. Um, and then finally, RJ, we have some some really big news for this upcoming season and uh, the kind of coverage that we're gonna be doing here at Emerald City Hockey. Obviously, everybody knows and loves our post-game lives that we do after every Kraken game, home and away, right here on YouTube. For those of you watching on YouTube, it's right here anyway. Um, those, those hey, lives they're on the podcast feed too. That is true. That is true. Definitely, definitely. So that's obviously been a big part of, of what we've done uh, with the coverage here at Emerald City Hockey. And RJ, we have a, a, a new wrinkle, I guess, to add to, to our post-game lives that we need to talk about. That's right. So we are really excited to welcome a new partner for this season, Flatstick Pub. So they're going to be sponsoring every single post-game live this season, uh, starting with the season opener, October 10th. So Flatstick Pub, it's a great place to watch a game, enjoy some local craft beer, and play mini golf, Dylan. Now, I know you and I need to have a little competition later this season. Yeah, I mean, we definitely do, um, and we'll we'll definitely do. You know, we'll, we'll have some live events at at one of their locations because uh, they have many. Uh, I'm really excited and looking forward to it. I mean, we've had lots of great golf battles over the years, RJ, but we have never done mini golf. Now, I say I'm excited, and now as I'm thinking about it, I'm remembering how well you putt, how poorly I putt, and um, if anybody has any ideas of how, like, I can, you know. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe make RJ putt one-handed when we do this. Is that, does that work, RJ? Maybe something like know. that. I feel like I might, I might be able to focus a little better. I don't know. We'll see. I don't think you stand much of a chance, uh, but we'll see when we actually get into the competition. Um, <laughs> but that's right. So we'll be doing that at one of their locations at some point. They've got six locations, including one in South Lake Union, right by Climate Pledge Arena. So good place uh, to watch a Kraken game. And they are big Kraken fans. They are super eager to be part of the ECH community. They reached out to us wanting to be a part of this. So show them all some love and we'll have lots of cool stuff to share all season long. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. My my first trip up there, uh, heading over to one of their locations, checking things out because I, I just can't wait. Um, lots of lots of fun stuff to do. I mean, based on the different locations too. As I was looking at things on their site and everything, they have other games additional to mini golf uh, at some of the locations. I'm I'm super super pumped to to welcome them into the Emerald City Hockey family. Yep. Now, by the way, I should mention, we still do have some season-long partnerships available. So if you want to help support ECH, if you want to get your message out right here on the Deep Dive podcast, email us at contact at emeraldcityhockey.com or hit us up on social media. Definitely, definitely. And now, RJ, here we go. We can start the podcast proper now. All right, RJ, news and notes time. What's been going on at training camp? Well, a lot of things have been going on yes. at training camp. Nice, easy question. I mean, really, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, where to start, really? I mean, I, I guess we'll start with a, a new addition to the coaching staff, because that doesn't happen every day. Mm -hmm. uh, the Kraken brought back, well, brought back, really, Dave Tippett. So uh, Kraken fans from way back in the day, before they even started playing games, might remember Dave Tippett uh, coming on as an advisor for the Kraken, uh, you know, before they had even drafted a team. Of course, he left for a, you know, a head coaching job, which we can hardly blame him for <laughs> at that point. But he is back with the Kraken as a coaching consultant. Uh, so ask Taxtall a little bit about, well, what that means. Uh, it sounds like he'll be mostly kind 
kind of working remotely, but it's another voice, another eye on basically coaching practices to kind of give them little, you know, tips and, uh, and, and feedback basically on the coaching process. And of course I, I had to ask Dave Haxtell too, you know, what would you say is the ideal number of Daves on a coaching staff? Can you ever have too many? Of course, with Dave Haxtell, Dave Lowry, and now a Dave Tippett, and of course, Haxtell, maybe a little bit biased, said, no, you can never have too many. Never have too many Daves. Nope, that is true. I'm really excited by this, RJ. I mean, I, I think having, you know, more advisors, more voices, more opinions, more eyes looking at different things. I mean, we talked about this last year when they added Dave Lowry, and I think we all kind of saw the difference that that made for the club. And I know Tippett's role is going to be different than Lowry's, um, but it just showed, you know, having having somebody else looking at things from maybe a slightly different point of view or with a slightly different spin on it, um, it, it really can help elevate a, a team, especially when it comes to coaches who are, who you know, there's so much you have to be looking at as an NHL coach, right? To to be digesting, breaking things down, planning for schematically, um, advanced scouting on another team and working with the advanced scouts. There is so much to it. And unlike, say, a sport like football, where you have one game a week and you get you know multiple days to really look ahead towards a new opponent and break down what you did the previous game, in hockey, you could have four games in a week, right? It doesn't give you a lot of time to watch films, study what everybody was doing, break everything down, and then also start looking ahead to the next team. So the more experienced and um, solid voices that they have around and, and people who can be doing those things, I just think the better. Yeah, and I think that's one part of the Kraken's philosophy, certainly by their actions, right? Uh, that you can never have too many smart people in the room. You can never have too many good voices around. And um, I mean, you see that everywhere, you know, from from on the ice with how many good players they've brought in, you, the coaching staff. I mean, heck, even the broadcast booth, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's certainly been a team philosophy. So uh, happy to have Dave Tippett on board. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, it'll all still be, you know, Dave Haxtell making those coaching decisions. And that's what makes this work. Right. That's what keeps it from being like a too many cooks in the kitchen type situation. It's because, you know, at the end of the day for the front office, we all know Ron Francis is making that call. And for the coaching staff, we all know Dave Haxtell is making that call. And so I don't I don't ever see it as being an issue the way I've seen, you know, at times with other organizations, people bring it up as an issue. And maybe sometimes in other organizations, it does become an issue. But I really don't think it will here. <laughs> No, this is not any kind of like, oh, we're keeping your successor on staff or anything like that. Not at all. No, definitely not. Um, all right. So that's definitely some big news, RJ. What else has been going down at training camp? Uh, well, at training camp, we've, we've had the normal like training camp sessions, right? Teams split into two groups. We've had some players uh, that you know have, have made good impressions, right? But of course, you need to trim the roster. You need to have some cuts. And so we've had some players sent down, uh, reassigned to their junior clubs or, or sent down to the Coachella Valley Firebirds training camp, which started yesterday, actually, uh, in Coachella Valley. So um, that's exciting as well. Um, but I, I believe you have the list of, of players and kind of where they've been sent. Yes, so uh, the players returning to their major junior clubs include uh, the Dragon. RJ, did we? How how is his name pronounced? Because this was a big thing during Dev Camp. Do we know now? Post training. Oh, is, is it um, Dragasivic? Yes, I believe so, that's that's how I've heard it. Yes, Lucas Dragasivic, Drag uh, Jagger Furcus, David Goyette, Caden Hamill, uh, Andre Loshko, Carson Rykoff, and. Uh, Eddard Chalet, and then joining them the next day was Ty Nelson being sent back down to the battalion. I believe that's everybody for returning to Major Junior, and then we have everybody going uh, to join the Firebirds, um, and that includes where'd that list go? Um, <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, Jack Lafontaine, uh, Melanson, Logan Morrison, Billy Altavainen, Tucker Robertson, Ryan Winterton, and then. These are all on Twitter, so it's all over the place. Um, Jackson Caster, Kyle Jackson, and Maxim Andreev. That how it's pronounced? Andreev, yeah. Andreev, yep. And so those are the players going back down to the Firebirds. Again, we've talked about the Firebirds roster going to look very different this year because it's kind of the first year that you are getting that influx of Kraken draft prospects, right? They've all finally aged out. That first draft um, class for the, for the Kraken is aged out of major junior they are ready for the the firebirds and when i look at that list rj and i see the names like kyle jackson um and what he was able to do melanson uh tucker robertson ryan winterton 
I mean, these are really, really skilled players. We saw what they were able to do, you know, even last year through a lot of their CHL playoffs, mostly OHL playoffs, as I'm reading those names specifically. Um, these are these are guys that that led major junior teams. They took them on deep playoff runs. They put up fabulous numbers. And then we saw them at dev camp. You got to see them at training camp. We saw them in a little bit of action, preseason action, which we'll get to in just a little bit. But I look at them and I go, look, Coachella Valley, they went to a game seven overtime of the Calder Cup finals last year. I don't know that this club is going to have the same kind of veteran AHL presence to maybe pull off something like that again. But it's going to have a ton of raw skill and I cannot wait to see what Dan Bilesma and the rest of the coaching staff has in store um, to watch these guys grow down there in the Valley. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. And yeah, they might not have as much of a veteran presence there, but there's no drop off in talent no. on that team. And it's certainly a team knowing the coaching staff where I could see them getting so much better as the year goes on as well. And, and seeing those players uh, in training camp and in the preseason, especially, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit soon with the, the preseason games where some of those guys really stood out. It made me excited to see what they can do at the pro level. Cause some of these guys, it looks like, yeah, they're, they're ready to go get some AHL reps and, and try and excel there. Yeah, and I, I really think they're going to. And then, you know, we'll also see if uh, the Firebirds are done as far as uh, people coming from Kraken training camp going down there. Yeah, I think out of necessity, there's going to be a few more uh, joining the Firebirds there. It's just a numbers game. The Kraken has to have too many up at the NHL level, uh, but they will be getting some reinforcements pretty soon. Yeah, so and that's where also it's important that the, you know, the Firebirds coaching staff was around for that first bit of camp, right? Because... You know, you start building a familiarity with those guys. You already have an idea of what kinds of players they are coming into camp, especially in a situation like this where they are making the, the leap from major junior to the AHL. I think any familiarity you can have on a personal level and then obviously play style wise, what, what kind of stuff are they good at? You know, all that kind of stuff, I think, is, is super, super beneficial going into their training and camp. Yeah, and the last couple of days before those those cuts were made and they were sent down to the Firebirds camp too, you had the group split up into two groups that were one was basically an NHL group or guys competing for those spots. And the other one almost looked like a pre-Firebirds training camp session, right? You had Dan, you had Jess out on rink too with a lot of those guys who you know are going to be playing in Coachella Valley this year. And so I think they even got a bit of a head start on the Firebirds training camp. So it was cool to see up close them working with some of those guys. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely glad to hear that. I can't wait to uh, to head out to some Firebird games and uh, see some see some awesome hockey because, you know, they're going to deliver. You know, they're going to deliver. It's oh, going to yeah. be a lot of fun. Um, all right. So uh, anything else or we're going to move on to preseason games? Let's move on to the preseason games. All right. So there have been, I guess, what, three preseason games since the last podcast, uh, including two the night of our last podcast. That was a lot of fun, RJ. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad we could kind of divide and conquer there a little bit. You definitely paid more attention to the game in Calgary than I did. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, let's just go ahead and kind of break things down. I mean, before we go, I guess, game by game or, or talk about stuff, what's just been your overall uh, impression of the preseason games so far, RJ? Uh, you know, they're a little difficult to watch, they are. Um, especially the split squad game. I'm sorry, preseason NHL hockey. I just it, it's not as exciting as the regular season, not not even close. And I, I'm just a little bit over it. I can't I just I want the games to matter. I want the results yes. to matter. It, it, that's the bad part about the preseason. There have been some helpful takeaways. So it's been fun watching yes. from that perspective, um, but it just hasn't quite fully felt there you know yes no I'm, I'm right there with you it is a little hard when you know there's there's nothing at stake for the games um maybe it's just the absence of our post-game lives that makes it feel that way i'm sure that's all that feels weird it. it feels really weird just leaving the arena after the game i feel like there's something i need to be doing and people i need to be talking to yes. and i want to be talking to and I, i'm just left there alone in my car to think about the game yeah. What is that? No, I, I don't know. I know. I just keep sitting on the couch and it's like, oh, okay. That's, that's that, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, but what preseason is really good for, in my opinion, is watching the players individually, right? You're not having to pay attention to the whole as much. So you can really like, I feel like I can walk, go back into my scouting days and I can just be like, you know what, this period, I'm just going to watch Shane Wright 
just every second of every shift he's got, I'm going to just pay sole attention to him or Riker Evans or whatever. And so it's a lot of fun in, in that regard because I don't have to be paying attention so much to like what, what's going on schematically or, you know, where, where the puck is at all times and whatever. I can just kind of be like, well, that, that's what he's doing. That's, that's cool. I'm, oh, I'd never noticed that about his game before. Um, and so in that spirit, RJ, I mean, you know, the, the wins and losses don't matter so much. I don't feel like we need to go over the games from that standpoint. Let's just talk about who's stood out to us. That sound good? Let's do it. Yeah. So shall we start with the two Calgary games? Because we kind of split those yeah. two up. I'm eager to hear your take on the on the road game, the one in Calgary, because I didn't really have the chance to pay much attention to it. Yeah, so it was I thought it was a pretty good game for the Kraken. It felt like it was it was a battle between the Shane Wright line and the uh, the Backland line for Calgary. And it felt like that was just the game, was those two lines going at it, and then the rest of the lineups were just kind of there. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe it. But uh, Calgary made sure to line match with with Backlund's line, uh, new new captain of the Flames, by the way. So con- congrats to him. He was congrats, still yeah. he was still an alternate when that game happened. Uh, <laughs> I think he was the <laughs> next day named captain. Um, but uh, that that Shane Wright line, it was really fascinating to watch because you know you got the sense that okay, these are the two lines that are really made up of NHL players in that game. There was a lot of borderline NHLers, a lot of guys that, you know, you knew were going to be on AHL teams this upcoming year. It was going to, it was a lot of Firebirds versus Wranglers, RJ, in that game. (laughs) Um, But those two lines really went head to head and it was really fascinating to watch. First thing, I'm just going to get it out of the way now. Shane Wright against Backlund face-offs, not great. (laughs) Really, really not great. It's a tough assignment. It's a very tough assignment. Backlund's a a very, you know, he's been around for a long time now. Um, He knows what he's doing. One of the, one of the better centermen in this league. And uh, Shane Wright, as we all know, young centers always struggle in that regard. So I'm just throw, I'm just getting that out of the way, throwing that away because that was to be expected. Otherwise for Shane himself, and then we'll get to his line mates, I thought it was it was just you know it was a Shane Wright game. It felt like watching him in Windsor. It felt like watching him with the Firebirds, particularly during the playoff run for the Firebirds, where he was a little bit further down in the lineup, where he was prioritizing defense. It was a lot of he's he's hanging back a little bit in the in the offensive zone. Not always, and I'll get to that in a second. But a lot of the times he's hanging back a little bit in the offensive zone. He's really paying attention through the neutral zone. He's trying to make sure that he's keeping plays in front of him and he's skating backwards through the neutral zone to try to stop the Calgary attack. I thought that was very interesting to watch. He was almost like a third defenseman at times, and that's not always something you expect from a centerman. And then in the defensive zone, I mean, he's just fantastic. Like the moment a defenseman goes to to go behind the net or go off into a corner, he slides down and he's taking over their assignment defensively, you know, close to being net front there. So Shane Wright, the defensive chops, we've all known even before he was drafted by the Kraken, he had them. Just, I guess, reporting, he still has them and he looks a lot more confident now doing that against NHL competition than he did at the beginning of last season. So I do I do like that. He looked very confident. He looked in control. He looked like he just knew what he was doing defensively. I still want to see him. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I still want to see him be more aggressive offensively, though, because I know he has the skill for that. We've all seen that he at times has the skill for that. And even in this one, the few times he did choose to attack, he was able to make some things happen. He had a wonderful primary assist where he kind of drove the net, got a shot off, collected the rebound, threw it back up into the slot with a backhand. He kind of batted it out of the air, backhand, tape to tape. Awesome. They The Kraken get a goal out of it. Um, it was just one of those, that was one of the, only a few times where you really got to see him kind of just go towards the net, really try to make some offense happen. Otherwise, he, like I said, he played back in the offensive zone and he would, you know, if, if a play, you know, popped out to him, he was certainly there to make it. Um, but I, I still want to see him be a little bit more aggressive, RJ. 
I think that's a theme that we've seen a little bit too, where he just takes a little bit of time to kind of gain that comfort to maybe make those those offensive plays. And I, I think you mm -hmm. saw a progression too when we get to the Vancouver game. We can talk about that a little bit more. Um, but no, I, I think you know that's that's a good takeaway from the Calgary game. Uh, one thing I'm curious about, um, and sorry if I'm getting ahead of things here, but um, how did Chris Drieger look? Because I still haven't seen him play in the home games. Right? I've only right. seen the other half of the backup goalie battle. How did Drieger look? I thought Drieger looked okay. Uh, there was, I mean, of the goals that were given up, at least the early ones, it, they were more defensive miscues um, rather than like anything that I would put on Drieger. Um, that being said, he looked like Chris Drieger, right? There's times where he's making a fantastic save and then there's other times where he's maybe a little too aggressive and then there's times where he's almost a little too passive and he's sitting back maybe a little too far in his own net. Um, there was one goal, I'm trying to remember which one. It, it might have been the Backland goal um, where I just felt like he was he was just sitting back on it too much. He wasn't aggressive. He didn't come out to the front of the crease. He, it didn't feel like he was really challenging him as much. And I, and I thought that was kind of interesting because... When I think of Drieger, I think of somebody who plays not like him. very much up <laughs> at the at the forefront of his crease and, and sometimes gets into trouble uh, because he's too aggressive. And so I, I thought that was a little little interesting. But, you know, he, he looked exactly like Chris Drieger, like, like you know, but coming back from the injury, coming back from the time he spent with the Firebirds late last year, he, he looked back to, a, to his old self, so to speak, to me. Well, that's that's good to hear. And I know he had a bit of a rough start to camp, but it seems like he's been kind of getting better as it's been going along. And we'll should see more of him tonight as well. Any more takeaways from the game in Calgary? Um, no, I mean, everybody kind of everybody who was there played really, really well. I mean, I liked um, what I saw from Will Borgen. He's kind of seemed to, you know, as one of the few NHL defensemen in that game, he really kind of you know, took that and, and used that. Um, you could tell when he knew he was matched up against maybe some, some AHL competition on the Calgary side. He really stepped up, tried to be offensive, got a goal out of it. Uh, really liked to see that. Um, I thought uh, uh, Yamamoto looked fantastic. Ty Cartier looked He had fantastic. a pair of goals, right? Yes, Yamamoto had a couple goals. I mean, he looked really good. Um, I thought uh, him and, him and Tolvin in playing with Wright, that, that line just looked great. It just did. It looked fantastic. Um, he was super aggressive going net front Yamamoto too, like like really aggressive. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, and and I don't know if it's his size or if he's just really good at reading defenses. I think it's probably more so the latter. But he's really good at being able to. He kind of posts up, figure you know, sits in a spot, and then he reads the defense. And when the defense turns their head away from him, he moves and and he gets himself open. He gets himself into dangerous areas. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, you know, with, with the Kraken, Ty Cartier played just like Ty Cartier. If you've ever seen Ty Cartier play in practice or a game, that's exactly what he looked like, and he got a goal from it. So there you go. And then Riker Evans, I thought, was interesting because, uh, and we'll talk about this later when we talk about maybe the other game and, and what you've seen from him in camp, but it looked like Riker Evans, to me, went... Uh, period one, I'm going to focus on defense. Period two, I'm going to focus on like, you know, moving the puck. And then period three, I'm going to like use the puck. And it was kind of, it was kind of mm. interesting, but that, that was my like takeaway. It was almost like he was focusing on different things and trying different things in all kind of three zones using each period to do so. So I don't know if the coaching staff told him to do that. I don't know if I'm reading way too much into it. And that's just the way the momentum of the game played out. Um, but certainly in the first, in the first period, it felt like he was really focused on his defensive positioning better than I maybe I've seen in the past still could use some improvements there uh and then later on it was a lot of you know skating the puck up and then getting it deep in the offensive zone letting the forwards work and then come the third period it was okay I'm just gonna kind of win this game and you know really try to take shots and move around in the offensive zone boy when he I mean he'll go anywhere in the offensive zone with that puck and it's really special to watch yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I've seen it in practice and training camp and, and then in some of these preseason games, too. And I think he was the Kraken's uh, like ice time leader among defensemen in that game. I mean, they really gave him a good run to see yes. what he can do. Um, and, and I think that was pretty cool. Um, he, he said I think he said he had some family in the in the building that, too, because he's, of course, from Calgary yep. area. So that, that was cool for him as well. Um, so good, good takeaways from the game in Calgary, man. I'm kind of jealous that that sounds like a better game than what I watched, 
especially with the the Tolvin and Wright Yamamoto line too, because yeah. I think we talked about it on the last podcast, right? I said that they Hackstall had put that combination together, and you asked me how it looked. I just fast. They just mm -hmm. look fast, um, and it sounds like that came across in the game as well. Yeah, and especially like I said, you know, Shane Wright maybe stayed a little far back, but he really let his two wingers work, and and they did. I mean, you know, Yamamoto had the pair of goals. Uh, Tolvin had a pair of assists in that game. Like it was, it was a really, really good line. It was a lot of fun to watch that line uh, do their stuff. All right, shall we move to Seattle now? Yes. What what uh, what did All you right. notice in that game, RJ? Well, it sounds like it was not quite as interesting. I mean, look, it, it was kind of a lower event game than the score would indicate. Um, it was it was pretty sloppy. I thought you saw a lot of both teams shaking off the rust. Mm -hmm. And through the first couple periods, that was just kind of the case. Uh, you know, you look at the goal for, for Calgary early on in the game, and it's just this really bad angle shot where Grubauer is still kind of trying to figure out his positioning. The defensemen don't really know where the puck went. Um, you know, not a lot of the actionable takeaways you can get from mm -hmm. that. But I, you talked about the last game just basically being the right line versus the backland line and then a bunch of AHLers. This game kind of felt like there was basically one line going for the both teams, really. Um, and, and for the Kraken, I was surprised to see which one it was because I would have expected it would be McCann, Beneers, and Everly because that mm -hmm. line was playing in the game. And honestly, I didn't notice them a whole lot. They didn't have a whole lot of like breakthrough plays. They had a couple good shifts, but not the dominant type of line that, that we are used to seeing from the three of them. But the line that really stood out to me, and I think really everyone, was uh, Tucker Robertson, David Goyette, and Luke Henman. Uh, those three played in three different leagues, three different teams last season, but the chemistry was just impeccable. And, and it showed on their first period goal. Uh, Luke Henman made a nice pass over to... Um, to, to Goyette as they were coming into the zone and then Goyette with a sneaky backhand to Tucker Robertson on the far side of the net, um, you know, asked him kind of what he saw. And I was like, well, I hadn't, I had an open net. It was, you know, it was easy to put that one in. Um, so great passing from the three of them. They just looked really fast, especially through the neutral zone and, and the chemistry looked beyond what I would expect. Um, so good performances from those three. That line really was the only one that that stood out for me a ton during that game. Um, I guess a little bit too was um, Pierre Edouard Belmar's line. Uh, he was partnered with Edward Chalet, and I think he did a really good job of putting Chalet in good positions to use his skill and make some plays. Um, and then, of course, Belmar. I mean, he's he's come as advertised. It's so it's so different than anything I saw last season, having a guy that just has command in the face-off dot, right? I think he yeah. was 76% or something on face-offs in that game. And I, I'm just not used to watching a player where you feel like, okay, okay, yeah, he's going to win it, especially in a, a clutch face-off in an important time. You just have that confidence that he's going to win the face-off. So of course that it's a preseason game doesn't really matter, but I could see him winning a lot of very important face-offs for the crack in this season. And, I started to even think too, because there's one thing that Dave Hackstall pointed out uh, about the power play, because they're still trying to get things figured out on the power play, is that um, an area for improvement was you have to win that initial face up. Well, not necessarily win the face up, but you have to get puck possession right off the draw, right? Mm -hmm. You have you can't have that clear go all the way down the ice, and then you have to get an entry. Hackstall said our entries have been pretty good, but we shouldn't have to do that right at the start of the power play. It puts a real damper on things, right? And one thing I noticed this game and the Vancouver game, so many of the Kraken's power plays started with a lost face off and the puck sent all the way down 200 feet to go corral it. It's something that we were looking for because Hackstall had mentioned it and yes. an area where the team, I think, pr pretty much failed the test. Um, I, I, I almost wonder if at some point this season we see kind of out of a bit of desperation move, right? Pierre Edouard Belmar come on to take those face offs to the power play and then just get right off the ice. Yeah, maybe stay in a net front type of role, but I could see that happening at some point this season. Uh, we've seen other teams do that in the past, you and I, right? Just like, you know, in our many years watching hockey, um, it's yes, it's not the ideal situation that you want for your team, but it's it is an option. And I do think, you know, given his his ability to win face off so consistently and given kind of everybody else on the team's inability to do so, I think it is one that at some point we might have to see, you know, something like that happen, or certainly Hextall is going to have to seriously consider it. Yeah. So that's one thing to think about. Uh, I asked you, of course, about Chris Drieger uh, on the flip side of that yep. battle. We had uh, Joey Decord and uh, I mean, he was pretty solid, did not give up 
a goal until I guess the shootout, but those goals don't count as goals against. Um, so perfect in that game. And I just think he's looked so solid all of, all of training camp, all the preseason. I think he still hasn't allowed a goal in the preseason. So that's pretty good for his part. Right. But he played two mm -hmm. periods of that game, shut things down and, and just looked really on top of it. So that was a good sign. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to take this moment because I'm, you know, trying to look back at the, at the box score and stuff and I'm using the uh -huh. new NHL app, um, which, We'll talk oh, about on the red yeah. glare because it's a fiasco. <laughs> but I, I do I do love that um, for the goal, goalies uh, for the Kraken in that game, uh, Philip Grubauer, four shots against, four saves, six goals against. And for uh, Joey Decord, according to the app, 15 shots against, 15 saves, but also 15 goals against. So um, hmm. I don't know what kind of game you were watching, RJ, but Joey uh, <laughs> maybe needs to that work on that. That sounds more exciting than the game I remember, huh? I should, uh, I should go back and take a look at that. Also, do you like the, um, for the save percentage too? It just rounds up or down. Like if, <laughs> to if you look number. at, uh, to whole numbers. Yep. So if you, if you allow a goal at all, your save percentage is zero. It's just zero or one. It's a binary save percentage. <laughs> yep. Oh, NHL, please change. <laughs> Not going to say never change. Please change. Yeah. I even back to the old app was not good, but, but I would take that at this point. It was usable, um, but yeah, back, back to the hockey though. Um, the game, it did go to overtime, no goals yep. in overtime, not, not a ton of offense there. Both teams playing it pretty safe Yeah, and some sloppiness as well. It also went to a shootout and Dylan, the shootout woes continued uh. and look, it's the preseason. It doesn't matter. You know, it's a shootout, which already doesn't kind of matter. But then it's a preseason shootout, which really doesn't matter. Yes. But the Flames scored two goals on both of their shots. The Kraken scored zero on both of their shots. It ended as fast as shootout can end. What I want to see, especially if they go to another shootout in the preseason, in the preseason when it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. give me someone who is not shot yet. Adam, Larson. Give me someone who did not miss all regular season last year i believe it was eberly and it was mccann for the kraken yeah they both didn't score just give me somebody new yeah. you're not you're not gonna lose any standings points based off of it just show me somebody else that's all i want to see so there's there's my shootout complaint but yep adam larson for shootout let's go like he was there he, he was saying. there if there was ever a time him. to do it should have gone all yeah. deep all defensemen shootout look why not I mean, hey, with the defenseman you have, I don't think Borgen was in the lineup. No, he, he was wasn't. over in he Calgary. He was in Calgary, yeah. But again, I, I keep saying Borgen for shootout, sneaky good hands. Maybe one day it'll happen. I was going to say, um, it's, I, but wonder anyway. if, I wonder if Riker <laughs> Evans had been there for that game, if, if they would have used him. That would have been interesting. Um, yeah, I would have liked to see that. But yeah, the Kraken then, they, they, they split the two games against Calgary on the same night that... I mean, just really interesting setup how that all happens, RJ. Um and then they had uh, the other preseason game was last Thursday against Vancouver. Another one in Seattle. You got to be in the building for RJ, that 3-1 win. How was that? Uh, that was better. Uh, still a little bit of sloppiness, but that was a better game. Um, yeah, it was uh, – I'm trying to see. There we go. Um yeah, it was uh, it was it didn't feel it was lower scoring than the Flames game technically, but it yeah. didn't feel as low event. It felt like some teams were actually able to put some stuff together. Uh, the Kraken power play got going a little bit uh, with Ellie Tolvin and shipping in there. Mm -hmm. uh, but the story of, of the game early was definitely Jacob Melanson. Yes. Uh, you noticed him every shift he was out there, uh, not just making some skilled offensive plays, but getting under the Canucks skin. And uh, this is the first game where I thought, OK, you know, he he's arrived as a, as a player to really watch for the crack. And he's probably not going to get any games to the crack in this season. But uh, that ability to just get under an opponent's skin, to anger them, be in the middle of several different scrums. And oh, yeah, score the team's first goal. That is a plus pest work uh, from Jacob Melanson. Yeah, I was going to ask about him because, you know, obviously we know what he was able to do in the queue and everything he was able to do in Major Junior. Um, I've always kind of wondered, like, what is where, where do you see him kind of as a future NHL player? Is it more along that pest role where you think, you know, OK, bottom bottom six kind of guy? He's he's going to have some offensive chops, but for the most part, he's going to be the guy out there banging bodies. He's just going to be pressuring defenses you know, not making it easy for opposing forwards to, to do their job and their work in the offensive zone. 
Um, but also we've seen flashes from him of, you know, a really skilled hockey player who can pull off things, who can communicate, you know, with top guys like Shane Wright. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, is this the Shane Wright play that I was thinking about earlier? The, the backhand uh, up with, into the slot. Yes, with the yes. backhand pass. Yeah. Yep. That's the other, Shane Wright. Yeah, yep. yeah. The other one was Shane Wright drove the, drove to the net and then um, the, the rebound was collected for Ty Cartier, I think, was the, the goal in the other one. But, but you know, we've seen uh, Melanson make really, really skilled plays. I'm, I'm just curious because you've now seen him live, you know, against NHL opponents. What do you think for, for that? Or are we just going to have to kind of wait and see what, what he develops as in Coachella Valley? I think we're looking at probably a bottom six player. I know that the flashes of offense are there. I don't think it's going to be enough to amount to any kind of top six role. I, I think high end, we're probably looking at third liner who can who can chip in maybe as much as a Brandon Tanev, you know, production wise. That's, you know, the, the ceiling probably. Mm-hmm. But a player like that can still be super valuable uh, being able to to play that role of a pest you know, in a bottom six capacity and and still score every now and again, because that's what's going to be the difference between being maybe a career AHLer and somebody who can be productive at the NHL level. Um, and and one thing, in- interesting stat that was pointed out, I'm going to pull this up here by, um, I think it's Kraken Stats. Um, Jacob Melanson has a knack for returning from suspension in a big way. Uh, April 3rd, 2022, returns from four-game suspension with his first career hat trick. November 5th, 2022, returns from a five-game suspension with two goals. And then tonight, uh, returns from a two-game suspension, served over two years, uh, with his first career goal at the NHL level. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing where, look, I'm, I'm not necessarily happy that the game is the way that it is, that that's so valuable. But a player like that, I don't know, who, where you could see maybe in a playoff series getting suspended for a game for, you know, a questionable hit and then coming back and scoring a goal, you know, in the next game that he returns. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that as much as I hate it is super valuable in the NHL and, yep. and can help teams win. And I could see him absolutely being that kind of player. Yeah, no, we have seen players like him excel and help teams win championships since hockey started hockey like that's that's just the way it's gone um all right so other other takeaways from this one besides this was my first experience watching belmar be melmar improved from his 77 percent face-off win percentage to 80 percent. so that was really awesome to watch uh i totally i'm right there with you it just felt like he was gonna win every face-off he went out there to take um other thing that I wanted to talk about was the Yanni Gord line, because, you know, you mentioned Tolvanen earlier. I thought it was interesting kind of seeing them back together for a lot of that game. I, I wasn't sure, you know, because Shane Wright was also playing how how the lineup was all going to shake out. Um, did, did Haxtell say anything about that beforehand or was that just, you know, we saw it? Yeah, he. You know, he, he did say that he wanted to look at a few different scenarios with different lines and that there would be changes mid-game. And he, he said that's the unfortunate reality of having only the amount of preseason games that you have is that you don't have the time. He said, I'd love to get a look at all of these guys in all the different you know scenarios and all the different line combinations for a full game. But we just don't have the luxury of that. So he, he told us ahead of time that he was going to be changing up some of the lines uh, mid-game. And so I think that's what we saw. Yeah, okay. Uh, but they all looked solid. All three members of that line from last year, Yanni Gord, Bjorkstrand, and obviously Tolvanen. I mean, that they, they're they pros. They know what they're doing. They looked ready for the regular season, in my opinion. I don't know if you want to add anything. Um, yeah, the chemistry hasn't dropped off a bit no. between those three. And Tolvanen looked so happy playing with them again, too, even after the game talking about playing with Gord and Bjorkstrand. You can tell he loves being on that line. Definitely, definitely. Um, and then we got to see Andre Burakovsky, RJ. Boy, was it good to see him back out there on the ice and doing his thing. It was, and it's definitely someone who I've kept an eye on throughout camp. A little nervous after the first day, seemed a bit hesitant, as I mentioned on the on the last mm-hmm. podcast. But he's definitely opened it up. I think he feels better now than he did at the start of camp, and I don't blame him for, for being hesitant. And getting back into a game was a huge step for him. Mm-hmm. Didn't notice him a, a ton as far as game-breaking plays or anything in this game. But you know what? That's what the preseason is for, is just... Mm-hmm getting back into the swing of things, getting back into game shape, getting used to everything. And so, you know, I wasn't looking for him to be a difference maker in that game, but just seeing him get through it without incident was good news. That's And that's really what it looked like for me because I, I tried watching him, you know, specifically to see like, okay, what, what are we seeing from him? And it was very much like a tune-up game. It was just kind of like, get out there, touch the puck, you know, do, do your thing. He blocked a couple shots. Um, 
that was but that was kind of it i wonder if we'll see him in every preseason game the rest of the way just to really try to ramp him up because so far everybody else has looked pretty much ready to go as far as the like established guys we know are going to be on this this Kraken team the the top lines we you know we just talked about Gord Bjorkstrand Tolvanen it doesn't look like they need to play any more preseason hockey they're they are ready to go completely but um with with Andre Burakovsky it looks like I I think yeah it certainly wouldn't surprise me if we saw him each preseason game the rest of the way just to get him back up to the level he's used to playing at. I could see that. And we know he's playing tonight against Edmonton. So that'll be the start. And we'll see if he kind of takes the next step from there um, and looks a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So um, that's that one. Um, I <laughs> I was going to go down to the goalies again, RJ, and somehow Grubauer allowed more goals than he saw shots. So that's, that's an interesting well, I know. Do, uh, do, here on the app. Yeah. Despite what you might hear from the NHL app or people on Twitter, uh, that yes. is not the case. No. <laughs> Grubauer did not do that. I thought he actually looked a lot better uh, than in the first game, just mm-hmm. looked more comfortable. He was able to face more shots too yes. uh, in both of the preseason games because he got the start in both of them, right? It was several minutes before he saw his first action, really. Mm-hmm. And we know that's something that's very difficult for a goalie. And I, I think he kind of burned him in the first game, uh, but he looked a lot better in the second, got a, a solid pad save just you know a few minutes in helped him get comfortable get into the game and i know that the 900 even save percentage you know i believe nine saves on 10 shots you know yeah isn't really indicative of just how good he played no and that's something we picked up on the very first preseason the kraken played way 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 back when right and and we were able to get the read and and that first season for the kraken even into the regular season where you know grubauer is one of those goalies where he he kind of needs to get a feel for it earlier on in a game that is beneficial to him it helps him get into it and um so yeah, I, I I'm with you. I thought he looked really good throughout that game. I thought he looked great. Um, I thought Joey looked fantastic as well. And um, yeah, just overall, I thought, wow, this Kraken team looks a lot better than this Vancouver team. That was like my big takeaway. Was like that Vancouver team just got they got stuff they need to figure out. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, they, they were missing some key pieces, of course. I think the Kraken lineup was a little bit more NHL heavy, but yeah, it was no contest. I think it Canucks were, you know, lucky it was only 3-1. The Kraken definitely had more of the possession than the score would indicate. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think... I, you know, it was really just the pieces you'd expect from Vancouver. Like when, mm-hmm. when the NHL vets were on, there was about even anybody else. They were just getting caved in. And of course, Connor Garland, the Kraken killer has to get his one goal. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, so that's, that's going to do it for the preseason game talk. Um, thanks to Jen for the the awesome photos from the glass shooting, you know, down there at glass level for those games to throw in all those pictures uh, as we talk about those games. Um, we're going to talk about the, the roster battles that are left RJ and kind of you know the takeaways from the preseason games as they relate to those and then um talk about the preseason uh the pre-training camp questions that have been answered so far but first you have a little message for everybody i do so before we get into the deep dive uh, i want to tell you about the hat tricks post-game comedy show at the angry beaver so i think this is a brilliant idea it's a stand-up series for the days when there's only east coast nhl games so the hockey's over by around seven o'clock so you catch the hockey games and of course you stay for the comedy show Uh, but it's not just any comedy show they've got a fantastic lineup of comedians people from bumbershoot the edinburgh fringe seattle international comedy competition finalists, HBO's Women in Comedy Festival, and more. Uh, Each date has a different lineup, so you can go to multiple shows. It'll all be different. It'll all be fresh. Uh, And there are three dates. So there's Mondays, October 16th, October 23rd, and then Friday, November 3rd. Uh, so those are actually the three games, I, uh, nights, I believe, all season where it's just the Eastern East Coast NHL games. So they plan for all three of those nights. Starts around 8 o'clock, of course, barring overtime. You know, if the game runs long, it'll start maybe a little bit later than that. But tickets are $7 each or two for $10. So great price. You, you will not get a lineup that good for that price anywhere else. No. Uh, tickets are online or at the door, but it's recommended you get them online ahead of time. Make sure you secure them. Uh, and we, of course, will have a ticket link for you in the podcast description. Yep, definitely. I it, It's such a fantastic idea. You know, right? All the hockey's on the East Coast. Just, you know... Ugh. We, we know all know how hockey works like that um but to be able to go and watch those have dinner right watch the games and then stay for a comedy show like you said you can't beat the price on that either and the lineups look incredible so um really really happy 
uh, to be able to help promote those shows. Uh, all right, RJ, roster battles. So some of that has you know been taken off the table with all the people who have been reassigned, um, but there's still a few key ones left for the Kraken here, right? And I guess the, the two biggest names that are still left would be Riker Evans and Shane Wright, right? Like, can those guys make the make the big club um i think let's maybe start with the easier one to answer which would be Riker evans i think um who has looked fantastic we talked about him a bit there during the during the preseason games you know one thing i mentioned i failed to mention for the first calgary game was you know the the him on the power play him running the power play was super effective one of yamamoto's goals was on the power play Riker with the primary assist on that one i mean when I talk about his ability to move around in the offensive zone, when he's on the power play and he's the only defenseman out there and he's able to work laterally up there by the blue line at the top of the zone, he does it just about as well as anybody else can. Um, and he's, he's just been fantastic. And then I believe from your tweet yesterday, uh, he also was running the power play pretty well in camp. He was. It was a joy to watch, really. I mean, the Kraken power play looked so good yesterday, much better than it usually does in practice. Uh, and I, a lot of that was Riker Evans, his ability to, like you said, move around the offensive zone, but also sling the puck around really fast and be decisive with the puck in a way that, let's be honest, a, a Vince Dunn or Justin Schultz just doesn't really do, right? Um and they, they scored on two consecutive reps uh, with Evans, I believe, getting an assist both times. Jaden uh, Schwartz, I think, finished off both of those for goals. But mm -hmm. it just looked like so much faster of a power play with Riker Evans quarterbacking it. And after watching him, I really do think he is the best power play quarterback the Kraken have in the organization. Not just will be. I think he is right now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, other aspects of, you know, the, the whole game, of course, you know, he's not at the level of a Vince Dunn. He's not at the level of a Justin Schultz maybe yet, but he's the best quarter pl power play quarterback that the Kraken have. And so I think it's going to be really hard to keep him out of the lineup given that, but I, I think that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. I talked about <laughs> it on the discord a little bit yesterday, but the bottom line is we know what he can do with the puck. We know how great he is with the puck. We certainly know how great he is on the power play like we just talked about. The problem is you, in order for him to make this team, it does nobody any service if he's going to make the team as the seventh defenseman who's just going to be a healthy scratch through most of the year. You that that That's off the table. That shouldn't even be considered. So in order for him to then make the main club, he'd have to beat out, you know, a Will Borgen. Justin Schultz, Brian Dumoulin, Jamie Alexiak, right? Like, is, do you want to, my whole thing came down to knowing the, maybe some of the still limitations that he has on defense. Do you want to remove one of those NHL veteran defensemen in a season in which you're hoping to take the next step? Certainly come playoff time, you want to take the next step, but also maybe not, you know, be in a big wild card fight. Uh, deep into the season right you want to really try to try to avoid that try to finish top three in the division um i just don't know that you want to rely on a rookie who's going to have to really work on developing the defensive side of his game through all of that over proven nhl veterans and these aren't you know the blue line still may be the probably the weakest part of this lineup for the kraken um i i i just I don't know that you want to be dealing with working with him on defense all season long and the growing pains of that over, say, having Will Borgen in the lineup and knowing what he brings and knowing that you can count on him uh, and, and how he plays and who he can be paired with or knowing, you know, what Justin Schultz can bring. Again, in the final year of his contract, it just all makes sense for Riker to come in next year to replace Schultz. I just, I can't see, you know, either the front office or the coaching staff opting for that especially because we know with Hackstall he will he, he he listens to all the voices he's not opposed to doing you know kind of what analytics say or running with stuff like that but at the end of the day we do know that you know if if the call is coming down to him and he has the two options on the table he will lean a little bit more towards the traditional we saw that last year with the fourth line he wanted John Hayden on that line over a Daniel Sprong he wanted to have a fourth line that was going to be more of a of a physical line rather than another kind of scoring line and i gotta think at the end of the day if the call comes down to dave hackstall he's going to go with the nhl proven guys over a Riker evans no matter how good he just looks on the power play 
He will, and that's shown in the contracts that have been given out to these defensemen too. I mean, that's that's the biggest reason I can't see them sitting any of these guys. Is you know, you're looking at a three plus million dollar player that, who's going to have to sit if Riker Evans is going to get in the lineup while someone's healthy, and I, I just don't see that happening. Uh, and and then you've still got a name we haven't mentioned yet. You know, Jacob Megna, who's just sitting there as the seventh defenseman already too, who can come in and provide you know more of a, of a veteran steady presence defensively there as well. So yeah, despite everything that Riker Evans is doing, I think he's still going to be sent down to Coachella Valley as long as everybody's healthy. And I, I just, we talked about it last week that Evans was going to have to do something, you know, mind blowingly spectacular to make this roster. And even then I thought he, he couldn't do it. He's playing about as well as I, I could have hoped or imagined. <laughs> but there really just is no path for him as long as everybody's healthy. So that's going to be the key. But I don't think it's the worst thing as, as much as some people are maybe questioning the Dumoulin signing, which, you know, I have myself uh, as far as blocking a spot for Riker Evans. I think one thing that maybe Kraken fans can take, basically take for granted a little too much is just the health on the blue line. And I don't blame him given last season, right? Yes. The Kraken were uncommonly healthy at both forward and defense, really. So there, none of these spots ever opened up, but I don't think that's something that you can count on for a, a whole nother season. I mean, maybe they have this excellent training staff that just somehow prevents injuries, but hockey is a chaotic game. You're going to lose guys to injury. And I think at some point that bug's going to hit the crack in this season. And you're going to want that depth. You're going to want that call up who, probably isn't even a drop-off from some of the guys you have in the lineup. Evan's time will come. It just probably won't be right now. Right. Now, here's here's an interesting question for you, RJ. Um, looking at the, the defensemen that they have, looking at all of that kind of stuff, if, if when there's an injury on the blue line, do you think they just roll with a Jacob Megna, or do you think they would consider calling up Riker Evans? He gets into those games. Megna stays, stays the seventh man, and Riker Evans gets a taste of NHL action, you know, next year during the season. But knowing that once the health, once, you know, everybody comes back healthy, he's waivers exempt, and you could just send him back down to Coachella Valley. I, I think he might. Do you think he's playing well enough to, to be maybe in a situation like that? Because I think he might be. I think he is. That's really what he's playing for right now, I think, is being that call up over, say, a Megna. And I think, honestly, it's going to come down to which player is out, which defenseman yes. gets hurt and, and what they need. I mean, one thing we're seeing tonight is Vince Dunn won't be in the lineup tonight. I, According to Hackstall, it was just a maintenance day for him yesterday, but he's not on the ice today. He wasn't on the ice yesterday. You know, he's, he's missed multiple days in a row. We don't know if anything is wrong with him, but fact is he's kind of missing right now. He wasn't mm -hmm. in the non-game group. So if say it's a Vince Dunn who goes down, then I, I think you maybe bring in a Riker Evans. You can pair him with an Adam Larson and it's a more natural fit. You still have a puck mover there. You've got Adam Larson who can cover for any kind of rookie mistakes Riker Evans yeah. might make. And that's the logical guy to put in there versus if maybe you have like a, a Brian Dumoulin go down or a Jamie Alexiak. Maybe you do want someone more solid defensively, someone who's not as much of a puck mover. Like if you're pairing him with a Justin Schultz, you know, Evan Schultz might be too much of the same thing yes. on a D pair. So I think it's all going to depend on who goes down and what they feel they need but Evans has certainly earned to his spot being that first call up if the fit is there yeah I I definitely agree with that um okay so that's that's the big situation with Riker Evans Shane Wright now for the other for the <laughs> other big one RJ Shane Wright I look I think he's played really well so far um but it's it's what I talked about earlier right he's he's excelling at the defensive side of things the stuff we already know he's comfortable with based on just the preseason games, because that's all I've been able to see from him because I'm not at camp, I'm not sure he's taken that next step to becoming that offensive force that he needs to be, at least not as consistently as he might need to be to to crack the Kraken roster this year. Yeah, I haven't seen that in camp either. I mean, he's looked really solid. He's He's winning battles. He's doing the right things defensively. But as far as that offensive flash, that firepower... Mm -hmm haven't really seen it a ton in camp 
Uh, and and that's again nothing against him or or the way he plays. Look, we we know how solid of a player he is, but you know it's it's not like a Matty Beneers when he was in training camp, you know, last year. You're like, okay, yeah, this guy is is a much yeah. better scorer than most of these guys on the team. I, I think it's going to take a little bit of time, and I just I want to see him in Coachella Valley where he's able to focus mm-hmm. on the offensive side of his game. He's got the defense down, and that's very clear at this point. Um, but I want to see him have that opportunity to to go and score a bunch and and build that confidence. Now, so far, Haxtell has been putting Shane Wright in pretty much just in a fourth line role pretty mm-hmm. exclusively. I mean, I guess you could call it the third line, you know, given that there's some AHLers out there. But it looks like what might be a fourth line uh, for, for the season when everyone's healthy. Uh, he started off with the, the Tolvin and Wright Yamamoto line that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. I thought that looked really good. But realistically, that's kind of a fourth line spot. If, if that's what it is going to the season. Haxtell then switched up the fourth line to be a Tanev, Belmar, Cartier look, which of course is a very different look, yes. uh, you know, than, the, than the, uh, the other line we just talked about, you know, more of a defensive line, more of a grinding type line. I think Haxtell's kind of experimenting with the different ways that this fourth line could look. And then finally tonight, one thing that's interesting, we'll be getting Cartier right Yamamoto. So Tolvanen, of course, um, mm-hmm. I think, Haxall probably wants him up there with Gordon Bjorkstrand longer yeah. term. The, the, that line just works so well. You don't want to break it up. But he's trying out Ty Karche there. And Karche, of course, brings more of an edge, uh, brings that hitting, brings that physical presence, that power forward style that neither Shane Wright nor Kyler Yamamoto are really going to bring to that line. And so I'm really interested to see how that looks tonight. Haxtell has said that, look, we're only halfway through camp, nothing set in stone. So I'm sure this won't be the the be all end all for for Shane Wright making the roster or the fourth line looking that way. But chances are kind of running out to see, okay, which which combo looks better. So I think this really is going to be an audition for him tonight. Yeah, I I think I'm right there with you completely. Um, I just think, you know, Belmar's playing so solid. He's bringing what the Kraken need him to bring. Um, it's just, I think it's going to be really hard to keep him out of that fourth line center spot. Um, just, just given the faceoffs, right? Like that's, that's the thing. And look, I like Shane Wright, uh, just to throw in as well. Shane Wright played some PK stuff during that first Calgary game. Looked really good doing it. Uh, it was, uh, I think one of the PK units was him and Ty Cartier and they were fantastic. Like that was really, really solid stuff. Um, it's just, you know. Again, sometimes, especially given where the Kraken are at right now, I just think they're going to lean veteran presences and veteran players kind of coming out of this. Um, but you brought up Cartier, you brought up the, the different looks on the wings there. Let's go ahead and transition over to that for those battles and those training camp questions that we had. Where do you think the wingers situation for the, you know, those kind of that bottom line winger setup is? Because, you know, there's still a lot of guys hanging around fighting for those spots. You've got Tanev, you've got Cartier, you've got Yamamoto, you've got Colin still kicking around, RJ. Right? There's a lot of lot of people here battling for es- essentially two spots. And and that's a lot of names that I just threw out there. Where do you think everybody's at there? Well, we'll start with Tanev. I think uh, he's a lock he's to be in the yes. lineup. Spent every he's safe. We we know this. We know everything that that Tanev brings. So that you can pencil him in for one of those spots. Yes. Uh, but beyond that, I think it's still a really close battle between some of these guys. And really, it's just a stylistic thing. We mm-hmm. look. We know what Belmar brings. We know what he's going to be in there for. Yep. You know, to be responsible, taking faceoffs. And if Haxtell wants that for a game. Belmar is going to be in and nobody can compete with him because nobody else on this team does what he does. Um, I think the real battle is between Ty Karche and Kyler Yamamoto. Yep. Uh, for that last spot, basically on the fourth line, I think part of it might just depend on who the other two are. If if it's Shane Wright is a regular on the fourth line, and and then Yamamoto is probably going to be in there. I think Haxtell's like those two together, mm-hmm. um, but you know maybe Karche plays in there as well. Um, that's that's the battle I'm really looking for, and and especially tonight with both of them on either side of Shane Wright. It's, it might almost be a little mini competition to see, okay, who plays the best with Shane if this is the way that we want to go, whether it's to start the season or just later on in the season. Maybe if you have an injury mm-hmm. and Shane Wright's playing as your fourth line center, who do you want to put with him? So that's the battle I want to watch is Karche versus Yamamoto. And they play so differently. They have such yes. a different style, right? Um, but basically, whichever one of them impresses the most, I think might have the inside track. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I you know, maybe this is a hot take or anything, but I'm really starting to lean towards, you know, Shane's going to go to Coachella Valley. 
Like, I just mm-hmm. think that that's, that's where it's going to go. Agree with you. It's, it's going to be Belmar on the fourth line centering it. I'm with you. Tanev is there. There's no question about that. I, I think probably at the end of the day, we see Cartier and Yamamoto be the two guys who make the roster. And then just based on whatever style of game Hackstall wants to play night to night, it might just be as simple as just swapping one out for the other. You know, you're playing a more physical team, Cartier's in there. You want need to be a little bit more skilled, you put Yamamoto in there, right? Like, I could just see that be be what happens moving forward. Yeah, if everyone's healthy, that is that is the way I see it going. Because look, they're they're both going to make the roster. I think it's just you know who's on the line in the lineup at any given night. Um, I think that's kind of where we're headed. Other guys, I, I should mention like Cole Lind and, and John Hayden. Mm-hmm. Those guys appear to be on the outside. Uh, Lind and Hayden both working with the AHL group um, a few days ago, and I think kind of that that's where the the divide was made. Um, there, there's also a uh, you know a, a Devin Shore who's still there and has yeah. been getting reps kind of with some of the NHLers. You know, I think he'll be sent down, but he's someone that might be. A surprise call up, I guess, to some instead of maybe a, a Cole Lind or you know, depending on what Hackstall's looking for. If you're looking for maybe a Belmar replacement, if he were to go down, Shore might be the guy. But I think there's kind of a clear dividing line there. And unfortunately, Cole Lind seems to be on the other side of it, uh, mm-hmm. despite the impressive season he had with Coachella Valley last year. He's a guy who I, I think is going to go on waivers and, and we'll see if he makes it down there. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's. It's the unfortunate realities of having too many good players, RJ. What a problem to have. Ron Francis, why do you bring all this pain down upon us by by being too good at your job? (laughs) That's the real question to ask. Uh, And then finally, RJ, you know, arguably the maybe the the most watched or the biggest battle for for some people, which is um, who's going to back up Philip Grubauer? And I still think that this one might just come down to the rest of the preseason kind of playing out, seeing what Drieger and Decord look like through those games. Um, but having been around RJ, watching the preseason games, being around for training camp, do you think that maybe someone, one of those two guys has has kind of come out and is maybe more of a favorite at the moment? Yes, I, I do. And it certainly seems like Joey Decord has the inside track on that job. Um, I mean, look, he hasn't allowed a goal in the preseason yet. He's looked as good as you could possibly ask him to look. And that applies to the training camp sessions as well. Uh, he's just looked really good. And and that's not to say anything negative about Chris Drieger. I think he's been fine. Uh, but Joey Decord, I think, has looked that little bit better. Um in my mind, it, unless Decord really falters somewhere, it, it's all but decided. I, I look. I don't think they've made a decision yet, but I don't know how you you go to Drieger after what Decord has done. Um, now that said, Drieger is probably going to play tonight. Grubauer and Drieger are the two goalies in tonight, so I think this might be Drieger's last opportunity to show something and show that that he deserves another look for this backup job. But I think right now, Decord has to be the heavy favorite. Yeah, I'm I'm with you after watching the the bit of preseason action from the two of them that I've gotten to see. I, I just think Joey looks a little bit more just ready to go. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, I mean, hey, goal goaltending is weird. It's hard to predict. It it's it's hard to look at. I know, you know, they're they're obviously former goalies and experts who could tell you a lot better than yes. we could. But um, I don't know. There's there's so much of it is is just the confidence, that feel, just are, are you stopping pucks? Are they hitting you? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Joey Decord, yeah, he's stopping those pucks. Yeah, definitely. So those are, those are the situations there. Still got another week or so to, to have everything play out ahead of next, uh, you know, a week from tomorrow when the regular season kicks off in Vegas for the Seattle Kraken. That's going to do it for this episode of The Deep Dive, however. Thanks one more time to Queen Anne Beer Hall for, for sponsoring the podcast. Everybody check out the Patreon coming back again. Got that uh, red glare podcast episode really looking forward to that later this week get to talk about an entire off season's worth of action rj a lot of stuff around the nhl to talk about um as well as all the other fun stuff that we'll have later this month and then also everybody check out the check out the angry beaver show stuff too check click through the link check that stuff out as well um all right everybody thanks so much for joining us for this one and we will see you all next time Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, DJ Singletone, Duthin, 
Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean B, Sean O, Sergey, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Ty, Tyler, Wendy, Strife, and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 